0: like to have you turn to Hosea chapter 6 Hosea is the book right after the book of Daniel in the Old Testament Hosea is the first of the minor prophets minor not in in quality but just in size of the prophecies we are in chapter 6 now and uh, Israel is going to have to deal with the judgment of God. Israel, as far as the northern kingdom is concerned, because Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Of course, the southern kingdom of Judah, a few years later, will have to deal with the same situation as they have been becoming rebellious And disobedient to God as as well. They are actually brought up in this text uh, in Hosea chapter 6 from verses 4 down through 11. This is a short chapter but I do have to note that we're not going to go through it all the way tonight because the first three verses have to do with a superficial call of returning to the Lord by Israel itself. Israel has seen now what they have become through the life of Hosea and his wife Gomer. Hosea being obedient to the Lord to take him, uh, to take of himself a, a, uh, a wife who is a prostitute to show the very character of Israel at that time having prostituted themselves in idolatry and turning to other gods rather than staying faithful to God as their own husband. And so with all of that we have seen in that particular relationship and the children of Hosea, finally coming to that place where Hosea himself now receives his wife back, reminding us that God is going to receive Israel back, but not until this judgment that is going to come upon them by the Assyrians. So we're at a place now where the text begins in verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. It all sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good. It has a ring of of something that is right. At least on the surface. But if we understand understand the content of what is considered the most familiar and for many the most popular verse of the scriptures, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, then we know certain things. We know how much the Lord loves his creation and those who are in it. And knowing this, therefore, he would want us to repent of our sins and to turn to him. Now I want you to turn to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, and by the way, as you're turning to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, make sure you put a bookmark there because we're going to come back to this a little bit later. Actually, to this chapter. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Notice what it says concerning the Lord and his heart. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, notice, but that all should come to what? To repentance. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God for his creation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Here, Peter says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He longs for us. He longs for us to know him and to establish a personal relationship with him. The Lord longs for us to trust him, to obey his commandments, to place our lives into his loving hands. And once we truly trust the Lord, he richly blesses us. We've all experienced that blessing, haven't we? That moment that we cry out to Him, and turn from our sins, and run from that evil way. There's a tremendous blessing. And it truly isn't something that can be measured because His blessings grow every day. He blesses us and not only that, He looks after us. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And He takes care of us. He meets our every need. He gives us our daily bread. Not to mention that he also strengthens us as we face all the challenges of the trials and tribulations and temptations of this life in this wicked world. And in the next two chapters, chapters 6 and 7, the Lord reaches out to the Israelites of the northern kingdom of, of Israel as well as the, uh, the children of Judah and Benjamin of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he will call upon them to repent of their sins. But as we shall see, they will reject God's call. The northern kingdom of Israel first. They will reject God's call. And in that rejection, they reveal the true character of their hearts. That character in its worst sense was already revealed by the Lord in his statement concerning their their will. If you go back one chapter to chapter 5, and you look at verse 4, what it says there. As the indictment goes out to them, God being the judge, as the indictment goes out, and he says they will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. And again, we focused on the word will. It was a matter of will, not of ability, but of will. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. That's a powerful statement about the character of their own hearts. And in response to their will, the Lord would, Conclude chapter 5 with this statement and I want you to go back if you will to the, the last two verses of Hosea chapter 5 upon which the beginning of chapter 6 is based <coughs> excuse me verse 14 for I will be I want you to notice what he says in response to their will their will, will is not framed to know God to want God so he says, but I will. I will be unto Eph- Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. They've turned from him. He's turning from them. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Do you notice what he said? In their affliction, they will seek me early. That's what brings us to verse 1 of chapter 6. So keep that in mind. But consider that when the Lord had purposed to abandon them, and they had found that he had returned to his place, where he alone could be sought, they feeling their own weakness and the weariness and the fickleness and the indecisiveness and the unfaithfulness of their idols and of their allies, resolved to return to the Lord because of their weakness and because of the wickedness and the weariness of their idols and their allies, they resolved to return to the Lord. And considering that their own allies had torn, but gave them no healing, their own allies had torn them, ripped them. If you're still in Hosea chapter five, look at verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness, And Judah saw his wound. And notice the mention of Judah again. When Ephraim Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian, the king of Assyria, and sent to King Yarev. Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound. The Assyrians, in fact, made their wounds more dangerous than they already were. But now the question arises, is this Hosea calling out to Israel to return to the Lord or is it Israel itself calling? That's an important question because there are some commentators who believe this is actually Hosea telling them to return. Notice what it says in verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. Now it is not uh, foreign for a prophet to say let us. Daniel did that when he prayed, uh, you know, we have sinned against you. Nehemiah, the same thing, you know, we have sinned against you. It's not a rare thing for a prophet to say that. But is this the prophet saying it? In fact, if you go back again to uh, verses 14 and 15 of, of the previous chapter, It says, for I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion to the house of Judah. even I will tear tear and go away. I will take away and none shall shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction they seek me early. So now this is the statement made by Israel. Come, let us return to the Lord. Speaking directly to those who have sinned, directly to those who have caused offense to God, directly to those who have rejected God by seeking after the whoredoms of, of their idols. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn. That's putting it on God. He has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten, stricken, smitten, and he will bind us up. Those are very important words. We'll come back to talk about those in a moment. After two days, it says, will he revive us? In the third day, he will raise us up. Now, as I said earlier, this sounds pretty good. If it is indeed the plan of God. After two days, will he revive us? In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. We may even think that they're talking uh, in in the prophetic sense of of the nation of Israel when it will indeed turn back to the Lord when Jesus, their Messiah, returns. It's quite possible. But notice verse 3. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So a cursory reading then of this text can, on the surface, give the impression that the nation is repenting sincerely and seeking the Lord. But when we read what the Lord responds with in the next section, we may realize the shallowness of their repentance. I mean, let's consider a few verses later on. But but first of all, let let me just read verse... Verse 4 to you, because that's the next verse. This is God's response. And we'll come back to this next week, but it says, or next time. O oh, uh, Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee, O Judah? What shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as morning cloud. In other words, your faithfulness is like a morning cloud that comes and it goes. The cloud that comes and brings the dew, and then it's gone. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? And as, as the early dew goes away, so, that, that, consider that statement already. And then let's go to chapter 7. Just go forward a bit. For again, what we see here is what he says to Israel in this sense The pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Verse 13 Woe unto them! For they have fled from me, destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. What about verse 16? They return, but not to the Most High. And again, we're going to come back to study these particular verses later. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. So the words, going back to our text, the words that are used in verse 1 are very telling. The words that are used by Israel for them to return to God. The word return itself is the Hebrew word shuv, shuv, if you like to write down all these words that I give you, s-h-u-v if you want to transliterate it, shuv, means to turn back. It means to return to starting point or to a starting point. So it's a proper word for what they want to do. But then they use the word torn. He has torn. The word torn is taraph, T-A-R-A-P-H, taraph. To rend or to tear into pieces, which they have attributed this action to the Lord, even as, and if you consider the context of what is happening, even as it is stated about the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 32. So when you go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 36 to 39, notice what it says. Moses now says, "'For the Lord shall judge his people, "'and repent himself for his servants, "'when he seeth that their power is gone, "'and there is none shut up or left. "'And he shall say, where are their gods, their rock in whom they trusted. Consider the context here. Where are their gods, their rock in whom they trusted, which did eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. So let your gods rise up. Let your idols of wood and stone rise up and help you and be your protection. See now that I even I am he and there is no god with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Now if you read the context of Deuteronomy chapter 32 you realize that he is also that the Lord has also stated that they are to stand upon their rock and we know who that rock is. That's the rock of Christ. But obviously this was prophetic in that they would one day not stand on that rock. And then there's the word for heal. The word is, the, the, word, the, the Hebrew word is rafa, rafa. But literally the word means to mend by stitching to mend by stitching, to cure, yes, and to repair. And then lastly, the phrase bind us up is one word, habash, to wrap firmly such as with a compress or a bandage. Now the point of all of this is to reveal that their concern, their concern was for healing but not for cleansing. Stop and think. Their concern was for healing, not for cleansing. Bandage us up, Lord. Mend us up a little bit. To some extent, they're not crying out with broken hearts in sorrowful repentance to the Lord, surrendering, as it were, their wills to Him? Because you see, that's what the Lord wants from us. Paul talks about it as a sorrow that leads to repentance. Instead, they're telling the Lord this, in in effect, They're telling the Lord, Lord, we're in trouble and we want you to make things right again. We're in trouble. And you can make things right. But there truly is a distinction between the results of mere healing and complete cleansing. There is a tremendous distinction between healing and cleansing. I'd like to have you turn to Isaiah chapter one, because in Isaiah chapter one, and that 's early on in this great prophecy of Isaiah, that he points out to this nation, and really Isaiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom of judah but but it, it includes in a sense spiritually speaking the the northern kingdom of Israel. Really all of Israel. So in verse four of Isaiah chapter one, notice it says, ah sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. In other words, iniquity and sin is just completely overwhelming this nation. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. In other words, instead of pressing toward God, they're moving in the other direction. And doing that stubbornly against God. Verse 5, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. Now notice the terminology that the Lord is using here in this prophecy. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head. There is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So that's giving a a, a tremendous description of something that is in in complete disarray, uh, you know, uh, we, we would consider it physically, but it's really talking about spiritually. A spiritual sickness, a spiritual disease, spiritual wounds that are open, cankerous, as it were. Neither bound up, not closed, neither mollified with ointment." And you would say, that needs healing. The next few verses, God reproves Israel's sins, and then this is what He says to them. Look at verse 16. He says, "'Wash you.'" Now notice the terminology. "'Wash you, make you clean.'" Not stitch you up, not bind you up with a bandage or a compress, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Stop it. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then he says, and this is a verse we all should know, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What is there being mentioned here? Not not a stitching up, not a binding up, a complete transformation. It's as if you take a, you take a leper as Jesus did and heal him to the extent that he's not he just healed, he has new skin. He's white, he he was white with, with leprosy, now he's white as snow inside. Transformed, a new creature, a new person, a new skin, a new body. By the way, Jesus healed 10 lepers once. They went excited about what had happened to them. Only one came back with gratitude. He says, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But notice verse 19, if ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What is the Lord saying to them? Listen, choose life. Choose cleansing, choose healing, in the sense of being completely cleansed, inside and out. Be willing and obedient. let me ask you a few questions here what what was needed then what was needed by these people in in, in Hosea's time happiness or holiness what was needed what was needed A, a change of conditions a change of circumstances or a change of character What was needed? Change the conditions, Lord. No. Change the heart. What was needed by the people? What was needed by the people? Tears of remorse over suffering, the suffering that they were getting because they were going to be judged by the Assyrians? Did they need tears of remorse over suffering? Or did they need tears of repentance over sin? How different these things are. Now getting back to our text, verse 2 now begs the question, are there any quick fixes when it comes to national repentance? Are there any quick fixes when it comes to repentance at all? Well, let's read verse 2. It says, after two days will he revive us. Sounds good. Hey, we all need reviving. After two days. <laughs> In the third day, he will raise us up. Now, that's not, now that sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? In the third day, he'll raise us up. Sounds like a kind of a a preparation for Jesus' resurrection on the third day. You You can hold to that if you'd like, okay? That's okay. We'll see that kind of result here in just a moment. So after two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now... There are commentators who see this passage in verse 2 as a prophetic reference to Israel's spiritual revival, their restoration, and their rebirth. Now because Hosea prophesied and wrote in the 8th century BC, and it is now the beginnings of the 21st century and nearing the end of the day of grace... Now we're to apply the formula found in Second Peter. As I told you, keep your bookmark in Second Peter 3 because the previous verse to the one I gave you earlier, verse 8, says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Right? And, then, and this is a formula. And using this formula, we can conclude that Israel has is already passed two of the days and is now in the third. And soon, the third day will end. And the millennial age will dawn. And Israel will be healed. It will be raised up and they will live under God's approving eye. And there's no doubt that this will happen. We studied this uh, deeply. We we, we studied it intimately in, in the book of Ezekiel. So it's not to say that it isn't talking about that. But it has to be according to God's plan and not Israel's plans or desires. And while they are revived physically and back in the land today, which is very important for end time prophecy to uh, continue on until the day of Christ. Israel has to be in the land. They are in the land today. They have yet to be revived spiritually because the end of that third day is still yet to happen. But it's close. It's close. But it brings us now to what they say in verse 2 when they use the word revive. So as we look at verse 2, it says, After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And by the way, to live in his sight, the word live and revive is the same Hebrew word. So you'll understand then the connection. It is the word chaya. Chaya. Not chaya, guys, but chaya. Uh, it's, it's the root word for the phrase that many of us know, lachaim. Lachaim, of course, means to life. So it has to do with life. Chaya has to do with life. It, it just simply means to live. To exist and enjoy life. Now, now, that's a that's a good translation for this particular word, revive us, Lord. We want to enjoy life. We haven't been enjoying life very much. Well, of course, that's part that's their problem, and, and that's a problem they brought upon themselves because they're worshiping idols and they're worshiping and 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 uh, you know committing all these these uh, fornications and whoredoms, uh, you know, as part of their new religion, as it were. And, of course, God is going to come down, you know, in the, in the sense with, uh, through the Assyrians to bring judgment upon them. So, yes, we'd like to enjoy life. We, we'd like to live. So revive us. The word also means to live anew, it means to recover, it means to be well, it means to make alive, enliven, animate, quicken, to preserve, to refresh, to rebuild. It means all of those things in the context of its usage. But the word for raise us up is the word kum, Q-U-M, kum, transliterated again from the Hebrew which is often considered in in terms of a type of resurrection, as in Jesus being raised on the third day, as I mentioned earlier. But the word kum actually means to establish, to strengthen, and to confirm. That's what it means. So rather than there be a quick solution or a quick fix to their situation, They were being like the false prophets in Jeremiah's time who offered superficial solutions or remedies, but never really got to the heart of their problems as a people. They wanted, you know, hey, in two days, things are gonna happen, on the third day, we're gonna be great, we're gonna be all right. Again, prophetically, there is a connection to Israel's spiritual restoration in in, in the near future at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, there's a distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. The rapture of the church happened seven years before the second coming of Jesus. So that's, that's an important distinction that needs to be made. But the point of the matter is, if we're dealing with Israel, we're dealing with their spiritual restoration at the time when Jesus comes. What are they going to see? Who were they going to see and how are they going to respond? Because the Bible is very clear both in the book of Zechariah and even in the book of Revelation that they will see him whom they pierced and they will weep because they've come to the realization that they indeed had killed their Messiah. Yet he comes on their behalf. And they come to salvation by their Messiah, Jesus, because of the scars, because of what he endured for them and for us. But to say, listen, we're, and then just, you know, it's going to happen quickly, we're going to have a quick fix from God. Just, just like the, the prophets of Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 17. And, and, I, and I give this extended passage here because I, I want you to see the, the, the context of this one verse, verse 14, as we'll see in a moment. But beginning in verse 13, it says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. So here is, again, describing the sins of the people. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. So there were false priests and false prophets in the time of Jeremiah. But notice what they would prophesy, verse 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. Yeah, they've, they've kind of prophesied something that has been encouraging. Saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And one of the things that we're going to see in these last days are all these cries for peace. Now, let's face it, the world has given up on God. The world has given up on Jesus Christ. In fact, the world from the standpoint of governments and leaderships, and kingdoms and nations, for the most part they have given up completely and reject the God of of Israel and they reject the Messiah of Israel (laughs) and pretty much are rejecting Israel itself. And, And of course we've talked about how often the United Nations votes against Israel in every facet of existence for them. So the world is going to continue to get worse, not better. Let me interject some prophecy stuff here. The world is going to get worse, not better. Man is not going to be able to solve the problems that we're having. Do you think that somehow we're going to be lovey-dovey with everybody in this country politically? No way, Jose. It's just going to get worse. And I know that everybody says it's, Trump's, it's, it's President Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. Trump's fault. They don't even call him president. They don't believe he is. But I can tell you this. God put him there. Not because God's a Republican. God put him there. Because he's getting ready to bring this whole chapter to a close. God put him there. To declare that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. God has put him there. We we, we don't, you know, I mean, we, we struggle with his character. We struggle with the things he says. Man, take the tweet away. You know, that kind of thing. We struggle with it. But he's there because God has put him there. On that November day when he won the election, God wasn't above him going, oh my God, what happened? Well, no you are God Yeah, it's foolish for people to think otherwise and as we studied in the book of Ezekiel where is America going to be in all of this when the time comes for the Gog Magog War in Ezekiel 38 and 39 God has a plan to keep us out of it why? Because God is the protector of Israel. And you read the, you read the prophecies in Psalm 83, that Psalm 83 war and, and, and Ezekiel 30 and 39, and it is the Lord who fights their battle. It's the Lord. We'll be out of the way somehow, in some way. So I bring this up because this, 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 this thing is so important that the false prophets of today to think that somehow we're gonna make this world better. And the fact of the matter is, in the church today, we're moving in a totally wrong direction because we've moved away from the word of God. People are more interested in other religions and, and, and you know, bringing that into the church. People are more interested in, 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 in entertainment than in just repenting and getting right with God and, 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 and letting the Lord fill us with not only His Holy Spirit and give us wisdom and grace and understanding and give us guidance and direction. But listen, we, we've got to be light in this dark world. We've got to be the light. We're not secret agent Christians. The light has to shine. I want you to notice what, what it says in verse 15 of this Jeremiah text. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Look got all this false prophecy about peace. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. That's what I'm asking for. The old paths. Those paths that God has cut out for everyone who believes in Him and trusts in Him. From His word, back to His word, and only His word. and Not the words of men, the words of God. Where is the good way, it says? And walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Also, I said, watchmen over you, say, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. That was the attitude of Israel in Hosea's day. Were they ready to return to the Lord? Not the way God wanted them to return. That's why we're spending this time in this passage, the way we are doing it now and just remember this to deal with something like cancer and you know cancer affects each and every one of us in here in some way either directly or indirectly but cancer always affects every person on this earth but to deal with something like cancer drastic surgery is oftentimes required not the application of some over-the-counter cream or gel And this is what some people are looking for today. I've got this terrible disease. Well, here's some some, uh, suntan lotion. Use that. Is that going to do it? Do, Do you see how ridiculous that sounds? How absurd it is? Quick solutions are a sign of unrepentant hearts, not wanting to pay the price for deep and complete Cleansing. Consider David. Psalm 51. When David says, Behold, thou desirest truth. To God, he says, After his great sin. And now in this great psalm of repentance, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Listen to what he says, purge me with hyssop. In other words, cleanse me and I shall be clean. Wash me, notice the terminology again. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. God sometimes has to break our bones to get us to pay attention. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Folks, do you know who needs the old paths more than anybody else today? Our young people. Our young people are being deceived They've been deceived in public schools. They're being deceived today with the internet, with all of these video games, without easy access to social media, to the the extent that even social media, the enemy uses it to draw them into foolishness, suicides bullying. This is what they need. We can't give up on them because Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. We're not supposed to give them an area to play games. We need to give them the Word of God and we need to point them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Before we look at verse three, I was worried I wasn't gonna have enough time to get to verse three, but I got plenty of time. But before we look at verse three, let me ask this question. Is the Lord looking for his people to be following a religious formula or is he wanting his people to have a true relationship and fellowship with him? I think we know the answers to these questions that I've been asking, right? So let's look at verse 3. Again, if this is Israel speaking to each other, listen to what they say. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Now, if you paraphrase what is written here, it may sound like this. If we seek the Lord, He will certainly bless, or He he will certainly have to bless us, He will certainly have to bless us surely as the sun rises in the morning. If we seek the Lord, He will certainly have to bless us as surely as the sun rises in the morning, and the rains fall every spring and every winter. But if that is the case and we see what motivated them from the very end of chapter five and what we see the Lord reproving them in chapter six and seven, later on in this chapter and later on in chapter seven, then what we have here is a shallow faith. It is a shallow faith to consider forgiveness and restoration as something that is mechanically guaranteed rather than involving getting ourselves right with God. I want to repeat that because I don't want you to miss the point. It is a shallow faith to consider forgiveness and restoration as something that is mechanically guaranteed rather than involving getting ourselves right with God. It is also a shallow faith to depend upon religious words rather than righteous works. It is a shallow faith to depend upon religious words rather than righteous works. Why does the Apostle John make this statement three times in 1 John chapter 1? Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Near the end of the Bible. right before the book of Revelation. Actually, right before the book of Jude, which is right before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 1. He uses this phrase three times. It's a little phrase that says, if we say, if we say. In verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, I'll give you the answer in just a moment to that. Let's look at the second time he says, if we say, verse 8. In verse 8 he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. if we say, and then in verse 10, the last verse of the chapter, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, speaking of God, and his word is not in us. What do words do if we say If we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we're lying. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we say that we have not sinned ever, we make him a liar. We make God a liar and and his word isn't in us. Words can reveal or they can conceal. Words can reveal, but they can also conceal. That all depends on the honesty and the humility of the sinner. So I want you to take note of the answers to each of these particular statements. And remember, in verse six it said, if we say that we have fellowship with with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What is the response by John? He says in verse seven, but if we walk in the light, by the way, notice the action Walking. We need to be walking, living our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. Notice, doesn't heal us, but cleanses us from all sin. The answer to verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us is found in verse 9. We all should know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our action is to confess our sins. We can say all we want. If we say, if we say, if we say, but it is the action that matters. If we walk in the light, if we confess our sins, He's faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The answer to verse 10, or the response to verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, is found in verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. Why does he say that? Because all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Every day we t- our, t- our feet touch this earth. Every day there's the, the probabilities, the potentials of sinning. That's why Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He says, the rest of you are clean, but your feet are on this earth. You need daily cleansing. Daily reminder that you're not of this world. Daily reminder that you belong to me. He says, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, the actions that we don't want to do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. We Hey, this is better than Michael Golpin, guys. I don't know Michael Golpin, but... I see his commercials all the time. You know, he's out there saving the world and every other attorney. Like attorneys, we have some here. Don't throw anything, but he's our attorney. He's our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. In other words, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. The words that we find in verses one through three of Hosea chapter six, give indication that there was a shallow faith and the usage of shallow words, but no heart that would change. As we conclude this portion of our study, I want you to remember a warning that is given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter five, and I want to close with that. It's verses one and two. It says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. That, that just means guard your steps. Watch your step when you go into the house of God. That's what it means. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. In context, look at verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Let the words that you say Let the words that you speak, and by the way, let the meditations of your heart, as the psalmist also said, be acceptable unto God. To presume upon the Lord with a heart that says, you know what? We just want to enjoy life but God should be able to do this for us. It really brings out this issue that there has been too much of this easy believism being taught in the church today. I remember a time when coming to Christ It was desperation. And we were truly sorry for our sins. And that the things that we had done were an offense to the God who created the heavens and the earth. But praise the Lord that he sent his only begotten son put on himself flesh. Because God alone knew that we were already stained with sin from from the time that we were brought into this world, even in our mother's wombs. But Jesus came to take your sin and mine, and nail it to the cross. To have looked back and to see how greatly we had offended the Lord and yet to see how much he loved us as we read in John 3.16 earlier reveals that very nature of the heart that is truly repentant unto the Lord there is a sorrow that leads to repentance. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't want to offend the God who loved us that way and who loves us that much and who will love us for eternity.